0: Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil
1: Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Teach the Geek interviews on the Teach the Geek YouTube channel. My name is Neil Thompson. I am the founder of Teach the Geek. It is an online platform for STEM professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about the course, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. I'm very happy to have as my guest today, Thomas Anderson. He is a professional engineer who works in the iron and steel industry. And uh, Not only that, but he's also a career coach to engineers, offering them a solution-oriented approach to their careers, which involves working with them to see what concrete steps they can take to achieve career objectives. Engineers can be so passive when it comes to their jobs. I know I was, and we don't typically fight for what we're worth, and Thomas shows us how to do that. Well, welcome to the, the, the channel, Thomas.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Great. First question, where did your interest in science
1: and engineering come from? I would say that it started with my parents' appliances and yard sales and a small space that I carved out for myself in the attic. I used to collect everything that I could find and use it to create other things. And it often got me, one, broke from buying lots of things from yard sales and junkyards, (laughs) and two, in a lot of trouble for tearing apart appliances in my parents' attic.
0: Right. (laughs) You know, taking perfectly good, I don't know, perfectly good vacuum cleaner and and turning it into rubbish. I'm sure your parents weren't too happy about that.
1: I went through a lot of smoke detectors before I realized I couldn't figure it out by just tearing it apart. (laughs) I had to actually read something to know how the little cell worked. Okay, yeah. So
0: I, I mentioned in the intro that you are an engineer who works in the iron and steel industry. What exactly
1: does your job entail? So for the last 10 years, I've been designing equipment to make and process steel. So everything from melting, to heat treating, to reheating, rolling, galvanizing—you name it—and uh, like I said, I spent the last decade doing those things. And I finally got a job with a new company called Hatch, and now I'm a consultant. So instead of designing that equipment, I'm going to different places around the world. I just came back from a trip. I was in Slovakia, and then I was in Belgium. I'm leaving for Indiana on Monday, and I'm going to the steel mills, and I'm. T- Telling them, listen, if you have problems with your process, I know how I can help you. And then I go through and we look at some of the data that they have. And I write some specifications or put together really a story um, about what's happening inside the steel mill and then give them their options.
0: Interesting. Oh, wow. Spell, uh, you said Slovakia, Belgium,
1: and then to Indiana, you said? Yeah, uh around Gary, Indiana, there's still a lot of very old steel mills and uh with the recent updates in steel prices, you know, steel hasn't been that rev- relevant for a while, but recently uh our el presidente has said that it's <laughs> very important to pay attention to. Right. So right. companies like U.S. Steel are starting to invest cuz they can start to see some uh investments uh that are going to work for them.
0: Interesting. Well, that that you know Just uh, when I was uh, was an undergrad, I actually got my degree in materials engineering, but before the, yeah, before the the degree was materials engineering, it used to be metallurgy and material science. It was, I think, like halfway through the program that they changed the, I guess, the focus to kind of move away from just metallurgy and then kind of encompass all the other materials that exist as well. I never actually worked in materials engineering, though, so Mm -hmm. it's pretty interesting to hear
1: one one interesting thing that's happening now is is that not only the automakers but also all the companies that make motors around the world are starting to prepare for an all-electric car planet so they're gearing up to make uh all the materials to put together an electric car so all the steels that we've been used to over the past few decades uh, are changing into these high strength very difficult to process type of steels. And some of them, uh, as a matter of fact, I just heard some new specifications coming from Tesla for some of their new motors and their vehicles. And it's changing the way we kind of think about steel. It's not just carbon steel anymore. It's really high strength and really lightweight stuff, which is difficult to make and uh, obviously uh, fun to uh, figure out. Yeah, no, no question.
0: Well, I also mentioned in the intro that you are a professional engineer. Out of
1: curiosity, why did you become one, and what was the process to become one? Uh, While I was in college, I heard about becoming a professional engineer, and it's not as prevalent in the mechanical world as it is, say, civil and structural. And I made a promise to myself that I would do my best to get my license. And I had that opportunity after working for a licensed engineer for four years. and I, you know, I went into the P.E. exam very prepared and, and worked very hard in order to prepare for that. And, and finally, I was able to pass. It's, it's one of the most important things that I think I've done in my career. Um, getting my degree is obviously one, but I think right behind it is getting my license. Yeah, for sure. Um, so- So the path to getting your PE changes depending on which state you're in. So the terms that I'm going to talk about are general for most states, but some states have different qualifications. For instance, if you got an ME degree, in generally in most states you need four years of experience after passing your FE exam uh, with a licensed engineer, and then you pass your PE exam, fill out the paperwork, and register, and you get your PE stamp. But if you have like an MET degree you have to get eight years of experience in some states and other states don't recognize the difference between mechanical engineering and mechanical engineering technology. So in some states, you only need four years uh, of experience under a licensed engineer. Um, So what changes between state to state is how things are categorized. For instance, I live in Pennsylvania and it's one of the I'm not going to say worst. Worst is not the right word. Okay. It's one of the most challenging areas to get your license, as well as New York State, because not only do they want you to get your FE, they want you to get your years of experience under a licensed engineer and then pass mm-hmm. your PE, but in states like Pennsylvania, they want it in a row, whereas you can go places like Iowa, Arizona, I th- Think West Virginia, like I said, it varies state to state, and they just want you to have your experience, your FE, and then your PE. So if you already have your experience, you can take the test back to back, whereas in states like Pennsylvania, you can't do that. You have to have specifically those, those goals in that order.
0: Interesting. So, you have to get the, so in Pennsylvania, you have to get your FE, so that's yes. one test, and then you have to get the four years experience, and yeah. then once you have the four years experience, then you're allowed to take the PE.
1: That's right. Um, So in states like Arizona, if you don't have any experience, but you've passed your FE, you can go right ahead and take your PE. There's one extra document that you have to fill out that says, I recognize that I don't have the correct experience. Then you pass, you fill out a bunch more paperwork, and then you say, okay, now it's been four years and I finally have my experience under a licensed PE. Submit that paperwork and they'll sell you your stamp or send you your stamp. So it, it varies from state to state. What, what's nice is that they're getting lenient in some states and it brings up some interesting points. So some states are getting lenient because they actually wanna reduce the rate at which they pay for engineering services, which one, it's a benefit to you to help get your license, but two, there's gonna be a lot more people that are licensed. In other states like New York, what they want to do is they want to make it more difficult to get your license. And there's even been some things that have come across the NCEES board that says, okay, we want people to have a master's degree before they uh, can start taking the FE, which, you know, that's, that's playing a lot of games. Um, there's going to be some changes coming up in the future with the PE exam in different States. But in general, like I said, you need f- to take your FE past that take your four years of experience with a licensed engineer and then take your PE. And to follow up on this whole thing, it doesn't matter to me if your materials, if you're chemical, if you're civil mechanical, once you're done with school, you take your FE. It's, it's very easy. It's very straightforward. The rules for that have become even more lenient in the past years. When I took it, you had to take it either once in the spring or you could take it once in the fall. Now, even though it costs a little bit more, you can take it anytime you want and you can postpone it if you have some problems. It's taken on a computer which is much, much easier and the reference information is right on the computer. So it's easier than ever to be able to take the FE and whether or not you think you're gonna get your PE, I wouldn't make that decision as soon as you're done with school. I would take the FE, pass the FE, tell everyone that you passed the FE, put it on your resume, um, get your name out there, and then after you have some experience or you figured out which avenue in engineering you're going to go down, then decide if you're going to take your PE or not. Don't, uh, don't decide if you're going to get your PE long before you even try for your EIT.
0: Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's really good advice. You would mentioned that for PE, it's more applicable to or typically applicable to a civil and structural, but you're a, 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 right. a mechanical Have you you found that having your
1: PE has has benefited you, and so how? Yeah, it's a huge boost to your career. Um, I may never, especially in my business, in steel and consulting, I may never stamp anything. Um, I have one because you have to buy it to register it after you get your license. But it's not something that I need for everyday work. It's something that I use in my career to say, hey, I'm technically capable of Of being a licensed engineer and that's that's huge for a career it really opens up a ton of avenues to uh different career directions monetary it gives you have a little bit more respect you get involved in things like the national society of professional engineers those things it's really huge and it doesn't have to be that you're a structural engineer working on bridges and roads and those things it can be I want to take my career further. I want to prove that not only do I have my degree, but I also have an engineering license, which proves my technical capabilities.
0: Interesting. You know, you may, you may not know this about myself, but I also took that exam, the, the, the PE yeah. exam. Yeah. So I took it, you know, a number, a number of years ago. And the reason I took it wasn't that had nothing really to do with career. I just wanted the the challenge. So I, I took the FE, just like you said, and I'm in California. So there's, there. I think they're pretty lenient uh, when it, so they're certainly not as 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 strict as as where you are in Pennsylvania. I don't even think I had to have any kind of work experience. Once you pass the the I think the FE, you're allowed to take the the PE I think whenever from what I from what I remember, I, don't, I didn't have to prove any sort of uh, any sort of uh, work experience. But yeah, that that and and as you mentioned, the the FE now on computer. Back when I took it, it was also you know pen and paper, or, you know pe- uh, pen not pen pe- pencil and paper, just like the the, the PE is. And man, that, that that just was hard, man. It's hard to focus for that long, and then you have to lug all these you know your reference books with you. I, I saw people with just full on libraries yeah. going into the the PE exam, man. And I was just like, yo. You're not going to have time to go through all them books, man.
1: I'm coaching a young girl right now that's taking her PE and she asked me uh, probably five, six, seven times, what do I need to take to the PE? And she, she wants to take that library of books, which is great. She wants to be prepared. You need to have all the information, but the PE really comes down to speed and it comes down to knowing those reference books. And you can, can't go into the PE having a book that you don't know. And, you know, I I, I took a course online and studied for, I think it was six months. And there was books that I wish I knew before I went into the PE exam. And I didn't take them because I didn't know them. And I felt like I was adequately prepared. So uh, if you got a good reference information and you, you do quite a bit of study and you can usually work your way through, you know, majority of those questions. And it's not like it used to be. There used to be seven one hour questions and you had to pick, I think it was either three or four, Yeah. Or four or five. Now it's 80 or 82 questions. Uh, it's split morning until the afternoon. A couple of the questions, I think it's 82, but 80 are only graded. A couple of them are or choice questions that they may put on another test and are not graded. But uh, it's a lot of information. It really is. But if you're adequately prepared, uh, I'm not saying the test is easy. It's it's very difficult. But if you're adequately prepared, and you know your reference material, you can get through it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I was preparing for the exam, I knew I I couldn't do it on my own. I, I just didn't have the the, the the discipline. So there's actually, I took the chemical engineering one and there was a guy up in, in the Bay Area and he used to run, he probably still does, he runs these chemical engineering PE exam kind of boot camps. So yeah. for I think like six, was it six weeks, something like that? I used to fly from, well, I live in Orange County, so I fly to Oakland every weekend to go take this course with this guy because I figured that'd oh, be my, my best shot of, of passing it, you know? I yeah. figured a little, Put all this time and effort into it. I need to, you know, pass it. As opposed to, you know, not pass it. But uh, yeah, it was very, very helpful in, in in preparing for the exam, and then I was able to pass the exam. And I remember when I got the email saying I passed. I was like stared at that thing for a good five <laughs> minutes. Was, is this real? Is it is yeah. that a, an
1: exam? I was just so happy. I paraded myself around the office. <laughs> people <laughs> people weren't paying attention, nor did they care. But I had my arms in the air. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care what they thought. I worked really hard for that. So.
0: Damn right. So you meant, I, I, so I also mentioned in the intro that you work, and you also mentioned briefly
1: that you work as a coach. What spurred you uh, to, to become a coach? Um, I started mentoring, and it happened with – there's a lot of universities in Pittsburgh, and um, the office that I used to work for was right by Robert Morris, and uh, I met up with a couple – students at Starbucks and we started talking and I started helping them out with mentoring. And now that I've at Hatch, they have quite a few young people. So I've kind of started a group, uh, we call it the one to three year kids or one to three (laughs) year of uh, experience. And I'm trying to work through to help them kind of learn from the mistakes that I've made and uh, kind of accelerate their career so they can get on the right path. Um, with that, I've also started mentoring people on LinkedIn, which is nice, um, but I, it, it took a lot for them and for me to get really in-depth into what they were looking at and what they wanted to do. So actually becoming a coach and sticking with you know, a certain number of people, I, I try and stick between six and ten and really diving deep into the stuff that's happened in my career versus the stuff that I think they're going to see in their career. And, you know, I work in kind of a niche market or niche field, but there's a lot of similarities between the things that I've been through and some of the things they've been through. Mm-hmm. And I really, really enjoy helping. I do. It's, it's a lot of fun. And it's, it's a lot of fun to see, you know, when I start doing coaching, I do this goal setting document and I just send it over and I say, fill this out, take a week to do it and then send it back to me. And often I get that, oh, I'll have it done tonight. And then I get it back the same night, and it's like, okay, well, these are really nice goals that you can probably accomplish in a month or two, but it's not something that you need e for. So what are the long-term goals? What are we going to look forward to in five years, and where is this engineering career going to take you? So I send it back, we try again, and then we start digging deep into not where they want the career to go, but what they expect to happen with their lives and their careers. And it's really nice to step back and go, you've been in manufacturing. You really want a nice job as a project manager in manufacturing, but how did you get into manufacturing and do you really like it? And with those that have only been in the industry for a couple years, it's very, very easy to transition into another avenue in engineering. And what I want for, uh, my clients when I'm coaching, um, uh, is for them to step back and say, I had somebody that could really help me. I, I bounced some ideas off of them. I really figured out what I wanted out of my career. And now I have a path that I can start to go down. And it's really satisfying for not only me, but but I think for the clients as well.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. I wish there was someone like you that was around when I first started out. In, <laughs> that's, in that's what
1: I'm aspiring to do, is to be that guy that I wish I had when I, I made my mistakes. Yeah, for sure. So you
0: mentioned that you you do coaching on LinkedIn and you also I'm guessing you you do it in in person as well. Do you t- do you typically offer the same type of services to both
1: groups? Um I don't do a lot of coaching face to oh, face. Okay. Um with my travel schedule that's very difficult and frankly most of my clients are not from the Pittsburgh area.
0: Okay,
1: right. Uh so Um, The stuff that I do online and we do a lot of conference calls and we do things like this where we're talking back and forth about different questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually find it nicer for both of us. Um, Sometimes you get those engineers that went into the engineering field because um, they didn't want to be social. They knew they were introverts and they didn't want to sit down and talk to people. So when you put somebody in a room and start questioning them about their life choices and where they're headed, they, they tend to get nervous, but if you're talking on the phone or doing something uh, like Skype or, you know, a zoom, a video chat, they tend to be a little bit more relaxed and it makes it easier for both of us to work on some of their career and life goals. Okay, cool. Well, okay. Well, from what you just said, you, you, you mentioned that
0: some of your clients are not, you know they're introverts and maybe aren't too comfortable in social yeah. settings, but that's yeah. that's tough for them. <laughs> it's kind of the world we, we kind of live in.
1: At least to, be, well, to get known I, and to, for,
0: for people yeah. to respect your work, well, you have to talk.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's very very important for engineers, and I think it used to be the thought of an engineer used to be we'll stick him in a closet, give him some paperwork, and they'll do some mathematical equations, and everything will be great. But the engineering world as, in, as a whole is transitioning from being a mathematician in a cubicle to engineers becoming leaders. And I have some great articles on the website, why engineers make great CEOs, um, how to improve your speaking skills as an engineer, why introverts are great speakers. That's a weird thing to say because you'd think it would be the opposite. But not me? No, no, not at all. <laughs> Not at all. The reason, I, I know Maybe you're I,
0: not I, an introvert no, no, anymore. I, I'm definitely an introvert. I've, I've been an introvert my entire life. But w- w- one great thing about introverts is we're very we think a lot about stuff. So when we whenever we say something, it's it's after a lot of thought. We don't tend to think out loud, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rambling is not something that most introverts Absolutely do.
0: Absolutely <laughs> not. No, no, no. We look down on that. It's like, come on, man. Get, That's get, right. Get we, a thought together, we, and then we don't then have, have time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I used to work, I, I worked in medical devices as a product development engineer and man, sometimes sitting through some of those meetings would just be torture because yeah, absolutely. someone, someone would say something and then maybe 10, 15 minutes later, somebody would say the exact same thing. And I'd be thinking <laughs> in my head, "Were you not listening 10 freaking minutes ago, like somebody yeah. said, this meeting's going longer than it has to go. Come on.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I have, I have put together Some presentations up against some other presentations about artificial intelligence, which is really cool and really awesome to talk about. And I have a very, very dull subject that I think nobody wants to hear. But the difference between the speaker on the AI and me talking about being stuck in a mud hole in Mississippi means that people are more engaged with the boring stuff sometimes so it's all about the speaker it's all about how you present yourself
0: oh for sure i mean i, I certainly want to hear about being stuck in a mud hole in mississippi <laughs> or mud hole anywhere really <laughs> you had me at mudhole. <laughs> i wasn't
1: supposed to be in the mud hole at that time that's the whole story <laughs> yeah, i'm sure you weren't <laughs> so i mean as, as i mentioned I mean,
0: being and Also, you mentioned you have you have articles on your website about being you know pub, about public speaking how important it is. Yeah. What, what kind of tips do you give your clients on how they can improve their public speaking?
1: The one thing that I always say that no one likes is that you can not improve your public speaking without actually speaking. Um, you can read <laughs> <speak laughs> about it, but it's not going to make yeah, it. Yeah, you read all the articles you want, man, but you have to right. get better. You got to you got to actually do it, right? That's right. That's right. After you. You know, I'm an avid Toastmaster, okay. and uh, I have this nice article about why I joined Toastmasters, and it's a lot like the, what you were mentioning before, the example where you were in a room, and it was absolutely horrendous listening to a presentation, and you couldn't take it anymore. And I thought to myself, I can do better than this. Let me try it. So I started joining Toastmasters, and what you find is that you get so comfortable being up on stage that you have a presence and you know where you're at, you know where you're at with the presentation. If you really go through, and for instance, in Toastmasters, a lot of people give different presentations about different things, which is great for the audience, mm-hmm. but I like to give the same presentation over and over and over again. Oh man, <laughs> I was a member of Toastmasters too. And man, yeah. that guy, oh man. Well, <laughs> I go to different clubs to okay. do- presentations and remember there's like speech contests in the fall yeah no one has a problem with you trying it out three or four times before you start the contest
0: right
1: well but what that does is it takes my focus off of trying to figure out what to say and it, it brings my focus into how i'm saying it how i'm interacting with the audience and how comfortable i feel in my own skin and then you know my arms aren't dangling out in the middle of nowhere i know what i'm what i'm doing with them so I like to give the same presentation over and over again. It's bad for the Toastmaster audience, but it works really well for your presentation skills.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, a long game coming out of me, I suppose that's what, that's the, that's the <laughs> yeah. point. But the audience is like, man, we got to hit this damn story again. But yeah. <laughs> well, this time I'm doing stuff with my hands. So, you know. That's right. That's way right.
1: Out. I'm going to point more than I did last time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, you know, out of curiosity, so, you, you know, you mentioned that you work as a consultant and you go all over the, the world. I
1: mean,
0: you're yeah. up here. I'm, 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 I'm assuming that, you know, outside of Toastmasters, giving the, speech, the same speech over and over again, you actually have to give speeches for your job as well. Do you have a process for how you go about, you know, crafting and, and delivering a speech? And if so, what is it?
1: If we're talking on a technical subject, um, it's difficult because they come up at any point in time. It's, uh, it's difficult to have a process. Um, when I do have a process, I use the SOAR method. So there's the situation, the action, the objective, and the results. And, and when you give a story, you want to go through and you want to say what happened in the story, why it's a story where the story was leading, and what actually happened at the end, because if you don't give an actionable result or a... That's...
0: Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, Something happened with my internet connection, unfortunately. I can't hear you. Hold on. Can you hear me now? Hmm. Can you hear me now? There we go. Okay, you, you hear me? Yep. Okay. Yeah, a bit of technical difficulty, I guess. But yeah, uh, I don't know
1: when I dropped out. But
0: but yeah, okay. We'll, we'll start up again. I'll have to do some some editing, but that's all right. No problem. Okay. <laughs> so you were you were mentioning uh, it was difficulty. It was difficult having a, a, a process for technical communicate uh, uh, presentations.
1: Yeah, the 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 technical answers that you need to have. Have to be in kind of a story mode where you have the situation, the action, the objective, and the results. So it has to be full through, meaning you have a conclusion to what you're saying and it's got to be straightforward. When it comes to other things like sales pitches or you're having a negotiation in a meeting, those type of things, it's nice to set up the meeting agenda ahead of time. That way you can place where you want to talk about certain things and if you need time to prepare for something or you don't want to negotiate until the end because you don't have all the information you can reorganize that agenda and put yourself where you want to and what's but what's great about an agenda in a meeting rather than toastmasters is you get to pick how long you want to go <laughs> so if you put yourself in for five minutes you can go five minutes or you can go ten whereas in toastmasters you'll uh, get the red flag if you hit five or six. <laughs> right, right. I, 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 I definitely remember. So, it's nice to know the situation. It's nice to set up the agenda beforehand. And obviously, practice makes perfect.
0: For sure, for sure.
1: Well, I mean, those were the, the main
0: questions that I had, Thomas. Is there anything else that you want people to know about what you're up to?
1: Yeah, I produce daily content for LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn, thomasalananderson.com. As well. Um, my daily content for engineering involves a lot of content from the website where I post all of my information, a lot of great articles there. That website is engineeryourcareer.net and it's really taking off. I get, uh, I think yesterday I had like 80 views um, just on one page on the website. So there's a lot of great content. There's information about getting your EIT about getting your PMP, your PE, about getting better at communication, what engineers really do, um, why engineers make great CEOs. There's also a lot of information there that you can go and get for interviews. So if you are looking for a bunch of questions for an interview and what the interviewer expects as an answer, I have the top 20 interview questions and exactly how to answer them from an engineer's perspective. Um this week I'm going to put up another uh article that has to do with um it has to do with why engineers are so important and it has a lot to do with the bridge collapse in Florida. So there's a lot of great content there um please go and check it out and of course if you want to look at the coaching services everything's available online and you can contact me thomas allen anderson at gmail.com excellent oh i didn't realize you have your pmp as well i don't oh, you don't? <laughs> no i had a good friend help me because there were a lot of questions about it and uh, i wanted to know how to get it as well Oh, okay, so, yeah. So I actually it's co-authored I actually because I don't have it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's interesting. you have an article on not to get PMP. You don't have it yourself. That's that's cool. That's interesting. But yeah, I I got it back in I guess 2013. Okay. And yeah. So that that test was that test was not nearly as hard as the PE exam. It was like not Yeah. Even. And that's
1: that was, that's what I've heard.
0: Yeah. So it's all on the it's all on computer and just. That that part was actually kind of tough. Just staring at that computer for that long, that was like by the by the end of it, my eyes were just fried. I, I was surprised I was able to drive home. Glad I could see, because <laughs> I was just oh man, it was it was brutal. But yeah, I, that one that one wasn't was too bad. But uh, yeah, this was this has been great. Thank you so much for for being here, Thomas. I really Absolutely. appreciate
1: it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, and man. I hope you like the the background that I got here. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Uh, nice. I, yeah, I look for a sci-fi background and there's just a random boat right here. I don't know how that makes it sci fi and then the <laughs> this thing with the giant city in the background. Six dollars. Oh nice, <laughs> that was deal. Like going back to your yard, your yard sale days and finding. That's part. right. <laughs> Absolutely. You can get a lot for next to nothing. No question. All right, man. Again, thanks for being on, on the channel. Absolutely. I I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. You got it.